This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Coming up, we've got all the news and views from Manchester City's week. Get involved with the debate by tweeting at Blue Moon Podcast and check out exclusive interviews on bluemoonpodcast.com. It's your club and this is your show. Is anybody actually going to bother with the City podcast on the week in between Christmas and New Year? Either way, it doesn't look like City are bothering with their matches, so if you're giving this one a miss, you're in good company. Seems like everybody is going AWOL this winter, and for the first time in years, we never win at home and we never win away has never been more apt. We've got two defeats, a red card, a title race hanging by a thread, some wonder goals and a crisis to solve. So let's get on with this week's Blue Moon podcast. Also on our last show of 2018, we'll be looking back over the last 12 months and picking out some highlights of an extraordinary year. And we'll preview what's now a crucial week as City take on Southampton and Liverpool. I'm your host for this one and I'm joined by City fans Howard Hawking. Hello. And Rob Wilson. Hi there. Okay, so uh, we've, we've really got some uh, some stuff to dig through. Howard, I'm going to start off just simply. What's your take of the week? How's it? Uh, how's it? How, how, where has this run of form come from? Uh, I don't don't know, man. Maybe it's me cursing it by saying I'll come on this show. Because <laughs> well, I did My ask timing you. I did been... ask you in good time if you could do Christmas and between Christmas and yeah. New Year, and you went, "Yeah, go on, put me down for well, it." Don't don't invite me again, and we'll see if our form picks up. But uh, where's it come from? I've no idea. Uh, I love the opinion that we've not we've been in a bit of a lull, but because we have loads of very good players, we've been getting results. Uh, so it's been nothing to overly worry about. And yeah, we're not putting a truly great performance, but it's that time of year. It's Christmas. It's attritional. You're trying to get results, but not in my wildest pessimistic dreams would I have seen the Crystal Palace result coming. Uh, Leicester could happen as a one-off. It could happen. But the two together is just uh, no. I didn't see. It. I don't know where it's come from. Uh, we'll discuss. I guess we're about to discuss exactly why it's happened. But I wouldn't say I predicted it. I expected bare minimum four points this week and probably six. To be honest, I'm coming away with nothing. Robbie, are you? I mean, at this stage now, three defeats in four. Are you starting to hit the panic button, or are you? Are you staying calm? Um, fingers hovering over it. No. Um, <laughs> to be honest, I'm kind of in a similar position to Howard because. I think the last time I was on here was nearly five years ago and we were sort of deep into a title race under Pellegrini in his first season. And I don't think we had a good result that week either. I think I've got a feeling it drawn... might have been the Liverpool week, might it? I'm not sure. Um, I think we drew 0-0 against Norwich and then we lost 1-0 against Chelsea. And I think we had to talk about them. And it was sort of around that time of the season. So I reckon every time I come on, I'm just supposed to talk about <laughs> Bad results. About the catastrophe never... that's impending, yeah. Didn't even have a yeah. goal to talk about there. <laughs> well, no, no, that's true, I didn't. Although there were, I think I seem to remember there were four of us in the uh, studio as well. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's the week that we decided that nobody could get a word in edgeways on four on a show, so we had to we had to split it up a bit. Well, I mean, Robert, does this week kind of show that too many square pegs in round holes just doesn't work, no matter how good the players are? John Stones is probably a square peg in a round hole, isn't he? Um, I, feel, I feel a little bit bad for him because... We all know that Stones is a good ball player in centre-half, but that doesn't mean he's a good ball player. Because stepping 10 yards further up the pitch, playing a completely different role with different players at different uh, sort of like different distances away from you. Like Stones is very, very good at picking those vertical passes through. You know, the amount of times I've seen as this season where Stones will pick the ball up from Edison, he'll find Fernandinho, Fernandinho finds De Bruyne or one of the wingers, and then... In the final third, we all know how good we usually are. Whereas Stones, it just means that when Stones is playing centre half, he's got strikers don't really bother pressing us anymore, especially not against mid table sides. They just don't bother. They usually camp out on the halfway line, which means Stones has got a lot of time to pick those passes that we all know he can pick. And Laporte is the same. But I think if you just put Stones 10 yards further forward, he's 10 yards closer to opposition strikers, he's got less time on the ball. And something that's really, really developed in Fernandinho's game over the past 18 months is his ball control. I think we were we were definitely like controlling the game well enough against Palace to suggest that Pep might have made the right decision. But then when the game suddenly flipped on its head inside two or three minutes and the chips were down and we needed somebody to turn to in the centre of the park who could drive the game forward from behind the midfield, where Fernandinho usually always is and it's a role that he usually always performs... 
it was just something lacking. But it's it's a funny one though, Howard, because surely it's not just Fernandinho's absence, if that makes sense. Because I understand that that Fernandinho, you know, supports the attack so much and protects yeah. the defence so much. But surely there must be somebody else in the squad who can just step in and not necessarily do his role, but offer the protection. And Stones should be able to offer that protection. That just didn't seem to be there. Yeah, no, we can't put all this on. I mean, I'm not looking to blame Stones like this, by the way. I'm not. I'm sorry, you know, I should you, say I, I'm not either. Yeah, it's just. No, yeah. I'm not. No, it isn't just on. I mean, we're going to discuss the reasons how where this has come from. There's about seven or eight, I think, that have all come together to make a perfect storm, and I don't. We can't just put it around Fernandinho, but it is a factor because he's irreplaceable in a way. Uh, he's clearly a t- does the job of two midfielders, like you know Chelsea's Kante used. Well, until they moved him, you know can do. He's a and no one does it as well. I mean, he's an absolute master of that position. It's become, I think, it even took City fans quite a long time to realise it. He's had dips himself in form, of course, uh, because you know been playing non-stop in a way for many years, but. It is a big factor, but it can't. We can't just put the last two defeats on the fact that Fernandinho wasn't playing. There's then, a lot of other factors coming into play. But again, uh, just to, just talking about the Fernandinho role. I mean, even when you put somebody in there like Gundogan, who is a more central, more of a central midfielder yeah. than Stones, couldn't do it at Leicester again. No, well, no, he can't do it to that respect. But I don't think it was terrible. Uh, I still think he should put. The thing is, after Crystal Palace, I thought yes. It's square pegs in round holes. That's the problem here. We've not kept a clean sheet in eight, I think it was at that point. Why have you broken up stones on the port, put them back together, get the big guns back in, we'll be fine. That's exactly Leicester, what he did, yeah. That's what he did, and then we were just as bad. So I don't know anymore. <laughs> it's beginning to... Yeah, it's beginning, I'm not sure Pep knows just where all of this has come from. Uh, no, Gundogan can do a perfect... You know, I know he's not that popular with fans... He can do a perfectly good job there. He, we can survive with him in that role for a period of time. Uh, if we're gonna, we can't just put the defeat down to that. He's not as good as Fernandinho in that role. Perhaps he's just not as good a footballer. But it's hardly a disaster for Manchester City to have to rely on putting the German international in there for a few games. Rob, I mean the other, the other kind of issue of the last couple of games well maybe not the last couple of games maybe the, the weeks before it as well but they've been getting away with it City haven't really looked like finishing chances off and I mean I'm, I'm at a loss as to kind of say well what you what you can do to solve that because it surely just shoot a bit better mm, I think that's kind of how do I put this not us not finishing chances so well at the moment I think it's just a symptom of the problem as opposed to an ongoing kind of chronic issue like it was you know a couple of seasons ago where our defining feature as a team was the fact that we didn't finish chances <laughs> I don't think it's quite at that level yet but I think Howard's right um you know I, I had in my own notes the words perfect storm because so many things seem to have come together at once at the worst possible time where at this stage of the season if you've got players like Fernandinho missing and you've got De Bruyne and Aguero and Silva kind of coming back to full fitness or not quite being in the side and Walker's maybe looking a bit tired and Delph's looking a bit tired and Bernardo's looking a bit tired because they've had to play a hell of a lot of games this season because of other injuries in their positions. And, you know, maybe the Palace game looked like it was just one of those. Leicester on a high. You know, there's just there's so many things that just come together. And usually when something like this is happening, you, especially with players coming back to full fitness, you would hope for a game on Saturday at home to a mid-table side and then maybe, which I mean, to be fair, we did have that. But then you would hope for a League Cup game in the middle of the week just to kind of blood a few players back in, but not away at Leicester. You know, you would hope it would be an early round. It's just at this stage of the season, so many games come thick and fast that any issues the side is having, they just get magnified. Because obviously everybody pays attention because everybody loves festive football. Everybody sits down in front of the TV and watches it. Everybody... You know, it feels like it's it's like a national event, the Boxing Day kickoff. And it just means that there are so many games so close together that all of these issues just look so much worse because there's no there's no time to recover from them. Like we have the Palace game and the Leicester game, both pretty naff performances and both terrible results, especially at this stage of the season. Liverpool winning two games in that process in sorry in that same amount of time and then we haven't got any time to recover from this we don't have a week to stew on it and then get really angry and then come out and batter some side as like revenge for 
the two, previous two or three weeks. You know, we've got Southampton to prepare for in like two or three days, and it's just there's no. You know, no let's be going up, bad. Yeah. I mean, it, yeah. it, it's funny, you, you both mentioned the, the kind of perfect storm. I want to throw in a perfect storm of bad luck as well, because you look at, at, at everybody else around the top of the table. City have had to deal with the most injuries. You know, the, you look at some of the fouls they've not been given and they have conceded. Look at the wonder goals that they've conceded, because ultimately, you know, you know, Townsend and Pereira, two brilliant strikes that... Yeah, you, there are steps along the way that you can that you could probably take to to prevent them. But ultimately, they weren't they weren't kind of gimmies. They were they were absolutely battered into the net. And then Liverpool go and get a penalty like they got, you know, against Newcastle. And it's just mm. all these kind of little things. How much of it is just simply well, they've they've just had a, a run of bad luck as well. Yeah, if you mention that online, you get absolutely ripped to pieces, don't you? Excuses, excuses. It is one of the the factors. It's it feels like Pep season one. Like there was a period in Pep season one uh, where every shot the oh, yeah for about a month or so it every seemed shot like went every in. shot the opposition had went in. Uh, in three of the last four games, the opposition have scored off the first shot against us. Now that might not just be bad luck. That one we've got another issue to discuss, and that's the defending. Uh, now, yeah, Bernardo didn't head it out very well against uh, Crystal Palace. Sane did not head it out that well against Leicester. But 19 out of 20 times minimum, nothing happens anyway from that situation. Yeah, plays, uh, you know, when it goes against you, it goes against you. So the wonder goals, I think even the first Palace goal was... It's a decent strike, wasn't it? It's a strike that if he tries it, you know, I doubt it would go in, you know, I doubt it would go into that corner the vast majority of times. So... Yeah, it's it's just another factor. Uh, the problem is, City are more than good enough to have overcome these instances. Obviously, the Leicester one was late on, so that's different. And it came at times when we were dominating as well. We were we had a stale, kind of stale domination against Leicester. Palace, we were 1-0 up. There was nothing really wrong with that first half hour. They hadn't been in a half, barely. And it's the response to them that's kind of more disappointing it's kind of shook the team up and they don't seem to have had the mentality to get back into these games when they've conceded mm. a goal Rob, I was so I think... unused to conceding a goal I mean until recently we've been behind to Wolves about eight minutes well it's only until Chelsea so until where they, Chelsea yeah. beat us you know that we just you know we're not used to it at all so now there's a question I don't have the answer about mentality. So. We don't. We, we, well, I need answers on this show, Howard. I'm not. Uh, I'm, not I'm not here to, uh, to, well, to crack an egg. The small know? sample size says we have a problem. <laughs> uh, a top class size. Sorry, I have no humour. <laughs> <laughs> can't do. Can't do humour. Christmas like has this. been ruined by City over the last week. So uh, there we go. <laughs> no, it's just the old a peak side. The the word, most important thing is against Leicester and Palace, we were ahead. These are not just like. Yeah, you know, was going behind and not getting it back. That a top side, once they're ahead against the like. The, sorry, it sounds patronising. The likes of Crystal Palace and Leicester do not let it slip when they're on top of the game, and that's worrying. That you know that we've we've basically gone from ahead to to losing games twice in a week is a yeah a worrying trend. Let's hear what uh, what Pep Guardiola had to say after the game against Leicester to uh, to, to, to let, let him put his excuses forward, shall we? It's quite similar to Stamford Bridge when it happened in the, the first time of 44 minutes, scored goals, and Crystal Palace the first two times, two goals, and today the first time, one goal, and in all the games we were better, and, and we were okay, stable, and maybe we didn't create many chances, but sometimes it's not easy to create a lot. With the players coming back for the injuries and need a little bit time and minutes in, in, in his legs and their legs, and uh, except the five ten minutes at the end of the first half, and they when they we concede two or three chances in a row because uh, it was the dynamic. Sometimes it happened. The rest second half was not not big issue, and the final pass, the final lessies, the last shoot, we are going to miss a little bit that. And the uh, team's punish us. So one is thousand. Today was another fantastic goal. It's happened. We can avoid it. You know the corner. We can avoid it. Maybe the second ball. But it's football. It's happened. And as quick as possible, we have to try to win again for our mood, for our confidence, for our desire. In fact, uh, the confidence to play. And we are coming back. 
you mentioned that it's important to win again for your team's confidence. Do you think that after three defeats in four league matches, your team's confidence is starting to weaken? Well, the results make uh, the good results make a miracles in the mind. So that is all the games is a mind. So because we are the same one, uh, we practice with little details the same way we have done last season on the three years together. So now will be doubts, and what you have to do is try to change the dynamic to winning games and making a good performance. But we are able doubt. I said I, I never doubt. I'm not. I, I it doesn't matter. It's going to finish the season. The joy, the pleasure, and the, the how many times, how many things they did in the recent past, not long time ago, the recent past. I, I will never doubt about that, guys. Never. So I have to reflect. I have to think about what the team needs for myself and try to help him. That is what I am concerned right now in these next days. What I have to do to help them, to help them to to come back to to with the players for the way we want to play. To to move to move something and, and try to win again and after the, we are coming back like a team. Is it right that you cancelled um, the players' day off on Christmas Eve after Crystal Palace? We train one day more because we we need to practice something we 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 did them properly. But it was not, of course. I'm not a guy for the the bad moments. The moment was good. Make something is when I am closer of them. So last season were even more, more, no more aggressive, more, more serious with my players because when you, you win, you have to the tendency to relax a little bit. In that situation, they need support, they need to be together, and that is going to, to, to find. This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast. Pep Guardiola speaking after the defeat to Leicester there. Now, I mean, how would you mentioned it before? City's defensive record is now no clean sheets in nine. You've got to go back to um, the 2014-15 season for the last time that happened. It was a Christmas period of Pellegrini's second season. And that just kind of illustrates how how rare that's been for City recently. Um, you just don't see him keeping a clean sheet at the moment. Why? Uh, why uh, is that? Well, <laughs> if only I knew, I'd be a rich, <laughs> a rich man. I mean, just, just look at Chris. Uh, we don't have men back. <laughs> I think it's that simple. I mean, how many times against? I mean, even against Everton was Fabian Delph alone in the middle of the goal as a last line of defence, and he's obviously banged out of form. But he should be there by himself anyway. When we attacked Crystal Palace, it was cross after cross after cross. And I had players on the six-yard line who just could have cleared them for the rest of the week, basically. And yet when we, when teams go in the counter-attack against us, we seem to be outnumbered at times. It's as though we've but all been pouring forward, gung-ho, which we haven't been. But, but there is there is an argument to say, though, that other teams, when defending against City, have 11 men in the box. When City defend against other teams, are, are looking for that counter-attack so they don't have as many men there. Yeah, it's true, but we just don't seem to... The transition from when we lose the ball seems to have broken down somewhat, that we seem to be overrun sometimes with a team that can, you know, pace, and most teams have pace now. Uh, so, I don't... Yeah, I just... I just don't... It doesn't feel like as if we've got the uh, the defen- the uh, security there, that we don't get the numbers back, the intensity there, uh, when teams attack on us. Uh, there's a lot of space for a lot of players and that's why the chances they get tend to be good ones and why the ratio of them uh, and it kind of dawned on me this morning it might be we talked about Pep season one the problem we hadn't invested in fullbacks in about seven years or so I hadn't spent money on them anyway like Sanyo on a free contract and whatnot. Uh we finally sorted that with a huge fullback spree uh, spending spree on fullbacks and last season obviously the rest is history we seem to have gone back. We seem to be back to our old problems again now. We've got obviously got Mendy. We had Delph who's in terrible form, so we don't have a proper left back. We've got Walker who's in terrible form, and Danilo's come in, and he's rusty, so I can let him off for that. So we've again, we don't have. It's a it's a system. I think Jonathan Wilson said in an article about three weeks ago, Pep's side is so well drilled that you feel that if the you know. If at any point they're not well drilled, it kind of it could fall apart, and it feels like that a bit. Everyone has to know the job and do it perfectly, and without the security of those fullbacks, you know, well performing fullbacks, 
it's kind of falling apart at the back as well. I think. And you, uh, you lead, I mean, what Liverpool are doing, it all comes from a solid defence. If they get the lead, you don't expect them to lose it. With us, at right last, now, last two games they've lost the lead. You literally think we need another one, uh, and that's you're not going to win anything with you know if that's how you're feeling. If you can't rely on your defence to keep clean sheets. Well, I think uh, we have to offer an apology to uh, one of our listeners, Curtis Simpson, who asked in and asked the panel question about, uh, must be about four or five weeks ago, um, about uh, Carl Walker's form and, and suggested that it wasn't quite up to uh, up to last season's. And we, we kind of said, yeah, he's not been playing quite as well as last season, but we laughed it off as, as, uh, as Curtis being a bit picky because City were winning. And every week since then, it's looked like his form has just tumbled even further. So, Curtis, you were on to something. Rob, what, what have you made of, of, uh, of what Howard says about the fullbacks? It's, I mean, there is an issue there, isn't there? Um, I think at the moment, yeah. Um, I'm trying, it's easy, I think, when you're in the middle of a run of form like this to kiss to kind of just attribute blame to the same two and three players or to look back over problems that you thought you were going to have a few months ago. Like even, even after the Leicester game, we had problems in defensive midfield and we had weaknesses at left back and we went out and bought Mares for 60 million. And like, I was getting pretty angry, but then you kind of sit and think about it and you remember how you felt four or five months ago. And to be honest, I thought the fullback situation was fine. And up again, up until this Chelsea game, I think the fullback situation has been completely fine. It's just that, all of these things are arriving together. Walker's had to play how many games this season compared to other people around him as a fullback? And it's not just that he's your standard fullback. You know, he's an he's an attacking fullback. Quite a lot of his game relies on how quick he is, how much energy he's got. And that must have an effect. You know, when you get tired, your mental processes start changing. You don't think quite as quickly. You don't think as... You don't think as straight. You don't concentrate quite so much. You know, levels drop. Your intensity drops. And when you're Walker and Delph, whose understudies are rarely fit and rarely able to fill in, and I kind of rope Zinchenko into this as well. I feel a bit bad for Zinchenko sometimes because I'm not saying it's necessarily easier, but... Zinchenko's I mean in the sense that I feel a bit sorry for Zinchenko in the same way I feel sympathetic towards Walker and Delph they're not playing very well at the moment but I think it's a result of just being asked to play in this system we all know how intense this system is that's why it's usually so good but after a certain while the performance levels are always going to drop I think that's probably what's going to happen and I have I do have, as much as I'm feeling down about the results at the moment, I have absolutely every faith that Walker and Delph are going to produce good form again. I, I just, I get so, I've, I mean, I try not to get too annoyed by what I see online, but there are people having this, this like, frankly, it's like it's shameless revisionism of Walker's career at, at certain points this week that I've seen. And I know it's only one or two people, but there are people saying, oh, I always thought he was overrated when he was at Spurs. I think it's easy to forget sometimes when you're a football fan. Like You, you, know, can, you it, kind of live I mean, in the football, present, though, don't you? That's the thing. You, yeah, you, you exactly. live in the here football and now, and, and here and now yeah. he's not, he's not been great. And pundits. We, we, we have memories of goldfish. And the, the fullback situation before Walker came was... Dire, like so bad. Like, I mean, bless him, Zabaleta, you know, he was wonderful, but he was on his last legs. Sanya was out of the side for a very long time with injuries and he ended up leaving. And Walker came in and completely revolutionised the way that we play. And now because he's had three or four bad games, we have to t- we suddenly have to turn around and question his character and his application and his ability as a footballer. The guy's and, proved it. And he's not won just, a Premier League title. And not just the holes in his socks, if only that was all we were talking about You know, at <laughs> yeah. this point in time. Uh, Howard, I want to throw another uh, kind of uh, potential out there. Um, City's pressing game isn't quite as good as it was at the start of the season. I, when I think back to the start of the season, I think of the energy that the, that the forwards yeah. had in closing the ball down and winning it back maybe it's when Fernandinho isn't there as the anchor that they feel less able to kind of open themselves up like that. But in with Aguero not pressing, with Sterling and Sane not kind of all ganging up on the opposition as a team, there's options for them to play out and it's causing City some problems further back in, in the team. Yeah. Does, that, is, does that make sense? Well, yeah. I mean, the key last season was we didn't know if Edison was a great shot stopper. We didn't know... Is Stones and Laporte the greatest defend def, pure defenders ever? Because they didn't have chances, the opposition. And I think 
up to a month ago, the stats were still ridiculously good. I mean, we're just like, you know, we presented that, you know, we, you got charts of every Premier League team, like attacking intent and chances presented, or and City were just on in the top corner by themselves on a lot of stats. And the opposition weren't getting chances. And now they're getting chances of scoring goals. Uh, yeah, what what's the reason now? Is that I mean, it's clearly happening. It's clearly a factor here. The pressing means we're giving the ball to the opposition far too much and we're letting them get out of their, their third, so to speak, too easily. Uh, the reason for it, is it fatigue? I don't know. Because there's so many players off the boil at the moment that, is it, I mean, you know, someone's mentioned, uh, it's been mentioned the World Cup. We had a lot of players there. And obviously, some of the players that were at the World Cup didn't, got some time off, but it's not the same as having a summer off. Uh, Walker, for example, will have had very little time off. That's why he's really needed that rest. But Danilo got injured, got fit, then got injured again. So there's just no one there. We're playing, we're playing John Stones at right back. We're playing him in you know, defensive midfield. Uh, the intensity is not there at the moment. I think it is a key factor. Uh, but it's worrying that if fatigue, it's very worrying when you see other teams coming bang into form. Uh, right at this point. Right at this point. So it's not, is it bad luck? You know, Liverpool have not had any injuries. That has to be partly luck because whatever you do, however well you train, however well you rest, people can get injured, especially playing football, you know, running around all week. So there's some luck there, but there is some aspect of training as well as why we're going into this period and we've not, we're lacking intensity. And uh, to add a bit of uh, salt to the runes, Rob, uh, Fabian Delph was sent off right near the end. First off, what did uh, what did you make of the uh, of the challenge? To be honest, I've only seen it once or twice. Like I saw it when it happened, and I think I've maybe seen it once since. And he's gone in a bit high, but is that a red? Like I I don't know. I it's think just, that... it seems a bit. It's one of those. It's one of those. Um, I'm going to basically. I'm going to back out. It's one of those orange card ones where. But Gaz, who's been on before, he said that. If a striker's going through on goal and Delph makes that tackle and gets the ball off him, everybody kind of goes, oh, great tackle, great last-ditch tackle. But because it's happened further at the pitch, he said it depends on what the referees have for breakfast this morning. And it's just, it's, def- it's definitely a foul. I'm not saying it's not a foul, but it's one of those where, you know when a company was sent off against United in the FA Cup and... And everybody in the stadium goes, oh, great tackle. But then the whistle goes. And because the whistle goes, you kind of know that the red card's going to come out because the tackle was so clean and so good, like aesthetically, that you think the only way... Something must have happened. Something must have gone wrong here. And I kind of had a similar feeling when the ref blew the whistle because the Delft tackle seemed seemed perfectly normal. He just kind of won the ball from a side position on the slide. The ball, the, the camera went off the incident and then all of a sudden we're over near the bench with the referee with a red card out of his pocket. And I mean, you know, it, it could be, a, I don't know whether it's a blessing in disguise or not because poor old Zinchenko is going to be thrown in, in into the deep end now. But, you know, we were talking about how Delft needs a rest. I mean, he was a bit of an idiot maybe to go in, in in the way that he did, but it just seems like one of those tackles that is, it was like his Wigan one. The momentum just makes it look worse than it was. I think the, the thing for me was, Howard, am I right in thinking on this one that if you if City were to appeal it, they wouldn't stand the chance, but if Mike Dean had given a yellow card, nobody would have really complained? Yeah. Well, Mike Dean's not going to pass up an opportunity to be the star <laughs> of the show. Uh, and Delph gave him that. It was a clean tackle. It's weird. It's very weird because it's a clean tackle, but then he throws himself into the air somewhat that makes you think, is he doing that out of a bit of uh, pent-up frustration? Is he leaving a bit of afters in there just for because Absolutely. of how the game's gone? Yeah, I don't... Yeah, only he knows, really. I mean, I mean there's a still of it that makes it look like he's gone in karate-kicking <laughs> when it's nothing... It's nothing you know, of still, sort, is it? Yeah, still photo never tells you the true story, and that one really doesn't. So, yeah, it's a very clean tackle, work, but then he kind of... His standing foot leaves the ground, and I don't know why, and... No, we can't appeal it. He's gone for three games now. Well, I'm not going to overturn that. The, the, the bad news is it's uh, dangerous it, play. It was dangerous play, so it's uh, it's a three game yeah. uh, three it's game. It's stupid. Yeah. It's not it was, the worst um, tackle I've ever seen, but it's still stupid, and it just sums up the week in a way. Just yeah, when you it know was... it's going bad, then you know at the end we'll get a player sent off. You know, it's like Chelsea the other year or something. It's like wasn't pe- wasn't quite the mass brawl, but I know pe- you no, mean. but <laughs> petulance and a loss of discipline. There was there was no need for him. 
to really then go into the air after that. Uh, but if it had been a yellow, you'd say, look, he's got the ball and, you know, it happens all over the pitch and let's, no one let's knows move about on. it. Yeah. yeah. Um, right, well, for our final show of 2018, we've decided to take a look back at the record-breaking 12 months that it's been. There's been plenty of highs, and let's be honest, not many lows. Here's Sam Roscoe to talk us through it all. Homegrown alligator, see you later. Gotta hit the road, gotta hit the road. January got off to a cracking start. Raheem Sterling's goal inside the first minute against Watford helped City to a 3-1 win. But all the talk around then was about bad tackles on Pep Guardiola's players. Here's what ex-referee Mark Halsey had to say on the podcast. The referee has a duty to protect the players from, from these challenges. Just like a player has a duty of care to a fellow professional. Yes, I know it's a fast game and people want to win things. And But as I say... Referees have got a duty of care and they've got to, you know, have the correct recognition of these these challenges. City progressed in the FA Cup against Burnley and the League Cup against Bristol City, but lost their first league match of the season at Anfield. City fan Helen Powell was on the podcast after that 4-3 defeat. It's going to happen, he will make mistakes. I don't know why it had to happen at Liverpool away. The whole defence, it had been quite a while since they've consistently played together for various reasons. And I just, you know, I just think... Bad day in the office. That's all I'm putting it down to. Two Premier League wins followed to restore City's momentum. There was further FA Cup progress with a 2-0 win at Cardiff, but again, the focus was on the tackling and how Leroy Sane was lucky to escape injury. On the podcast, Richard Burns was left flabbergasted. It genuinely beggars belief that uh, Madley's not seeing that as a red card. I mean, it's reckless. The best you can say for him is that the ball is also quite high, but he doesn't really seem to have a whole lot of intention of going for it. And it's hard to work out why you'd why you'd do that to someone. If your intention is just to foul and, and sort of take them out of the action for a moment and, and break up play, you can do that without without doing that to the kid. February's headlines were all from the domestic cups. City was shocked in the FA Cup at Wigan, going down 1-0. Goal.com Sam Lee just thought it was a freak performance. There was a couple of times when Stones could have gone and not maybe not got the ball but contested it but just backed off and waited to be ran past and it was like what's going on there but even for that then for Walker the fastest defender City have got by an absolute mile to let it go past him and then not be able to catch up it just it was just a, a kind of weird sequence of events really I don't think there was any complacency though it was a different story in the League Cup final though where City walked past Arsenal 3-0 the following midweek they did the same bagging another 3-0 against the Gunners at the Emirates the difference was stark and City fan Paul Atherton explained. It's felt a bit like we've cruised it and just it, we're just quite clinical now and professional the way we go about it. It's felt almost like a rest week. We've probably played him at the right time and handled it brilliantly both both scenarios and just we've been clinical and not that not that it's, it's weird. It felt like City have got many gears to go through and, the, and it's just been quite easy for them. March was a breeze as City cruised towards the title. Chelsea, Stoke and Everton all failed to lay a glove on Guardiola's side in the Premier League. April, though, started badly. First, there was a 3-0 loss at Anfield in Europe. Afterwards, Guardiola was furious about a pre-match attack on the team bus. Maybe the people saw it, YTB, I don't know. So yesterday you explained about that, because I am new here for the Champions League, you explained about that, that's going to happen, it's happened. So normally when the police know that it's going to happen, it's try to avoid that happen. So I didn't expect that for Liverpool side. So we come here to play football, and I either understand this kind of situation. So okay, nobody, nothing happened. The bus is destroyed, but I didn't expect for a club with this prestigious like Liverpool do this kind of thing. City could then have won the title earlier than any other team had done before by beating United in the derby. They lost 3-2, despite having been 2-0 up at half time. ESPN's Jonathan Smith thought the match came at a completely wrong time. I personally wouldn't read too much into that result. It, it was a, it came slap bang in the in the middle of two massive Champions League games uh, when, when the first one had gone wrong and everything had to go right in the second leg and there was so much focus on it. Players were down, players were tired, and it got worse the midweek after. City fell apart against Liverpool in the Champions League quarter-final second leg. Guardiola was sent to the stands and the away side came back from behind to win 2-1 on the night. 
fans were left unhappy with the officials. I said it was goal. Miller passed the ball to Leroy, Leroy goal, and I said it was goal. And that's why he sent me off. How much of an impact did that disallowed goal have on the, the game tonight? Why well, is it different to go 1-0 and half-time to 0 It's different when the first goal in Anfield is offside from Salah is offside. The goal from Gabriel Jesus in Anfield is goal. It's not offside from the pass that David to Leroy. It's a penalty from Raja Sterling from Robertson in front of the fourth official. Despite that disappointment, though, supporters didn't have to wait long for a pick-me-up. City were great at Wembley against Spurs, winning 3-1, and United's shock defeat to bottom of the table West Brom the next day secured City the title. Goal.com's Sam Lee explains why the unexpected loss was problematic for him. I was on the motorway. I've missed enough United games. I thought, I don't mind missing this one. It's not going to be great. When they scored, I was probably about 25 minutes from home. And I was like, I put my hand to my mouth. I looked at my <laughs> wife in the passenger seat and thought, I need to go home and do some work. And we were, we were on that 50 mile an hour bit on the M6 as well. So I was like... I don't know if these cameras are actually on or not, so I'm going to have to do the 50, but I really need to get home. And Richard Burns didn't think that winning the league without playing was an anti-climax. We've always got the context of we're never going to have that the feeling of the Aguero goal again, so no, yeah. no Premier League title win's going to ever have that incredible rush. But it still felt great. We still, you know, maybe not every City fan got to see the winning goal because maybe they wouldn't have all been tuned into it because nobody was really expecting the shock. But we still won the league, and that is still, for a lot of us, only the third time we've seen that. From then on in, it was all about the records, and the 100th goal of the season was scored by an ex-City player in Pablo Zabaleta. He put through his own goal when the champions went to West Ham at the end of April. Here's ESPN's Jonathan Smith. He laughed about it after the game, and um, obviously he's more concerned about West Ham's relegation battle but um, yeah it was quite it was quite apt wasn't it quite nice the record breaking goal making City the highest ever Premier League scorers was Danilo's in a 3-1 win over Brighton at the Etihad that evening was also memorable as being Yaya Torres last for the club Kieran Clark and Kieran Murray spoke on the podcast. He's given me so many of the greatest moments of my life. Absolutely. And the man hasn't got a clue who I am. He hasn't got a clue who absolutely loads of us are. And he's just given so many people so much bloody joy. Just, just, what an absolutely unbelievable player. He was player. just the heart, the soul, the spine of everything good that's happened in, in, in recent city history. An absolute... A legend, a bona fide legend a of the club. A literal colossus of a yeah. But those memories could have been soured in the summer when he made allegations of racism towards Pep Guardiola. The City boss hit back, saying it was a lie and that Torre knew it. Before that, though, a last-minute strike at Southampton from Gabriel Jesus saw City become the first team ever to make 100 points in the top flight. It delighted Murd and Andy. I just wonder whether we'll ever see anything like that again, really. I, I hope so. I haven't but. stopped looking at that Southampton clip, like Gabriel Jesus' goal. I just, yeah. I just can't. It's just that that season meant meant the world to me, and I, I, I can't for the life of me think how we could will better that. Roll forward through a World Cup, and City started 2018-19 by winning the Community Shield at Wembley. They then went on to the Premier League campaign with a tricky tie at Arsenal, but still, City were too good winning 2-0 at the Emirates, though they did lose Kevin De Bruyne to a serious injury in training later that week. Success over Huddersfield followed before Wolves became the first team to take a point off the champions, though it took a dubious goal to do it, as the two Kierans explain. There was a handball and offside goal that Wolves got, so just because we were below what we should be at and below what our average is doesn't mean that we didn't deserve to win the game. Yeah. I think they they set up in such an organised way that they fought us tooth and nail. Now, they got lucky and also their keeper had an absolute stormer of a game. City were perfect domestically throughout September but did lose their opening Champions League game 2-1 to Lyon. Goal.com's Sam Lee couldn't explain what went wrong. Were they complacent? I don't think so because Guardiola spent so much time this season saying, look, if we... If we are complacent, if we drop our levels, then you know we won't have a season like we did last year. Was it the fact that Guardiola wasn't on the bench? I mean, he is really good, but I mean, surely the players don't need him down there going off his nut and mm. crouching down and waving his arms around for them to pass the ball a bit quicker. I don't, I don't know. I don't know what the problem was. A nil-nil draw at Anfield kept City top of the table, despite heavy pressure from Liverpool and Chelsea in the early stages of the title race. City continued to clear through hurdles. They won in style against most they faced and even came through a twice-rearranged match with Tottenham on a very dodgy Wembley pitch. ESPN's Jonathan Smith wasn't impressed. Moving the, this game, they're playing one at Milton Keynes. It's an absolute, absolute shambles. 
the, the knock-on effect is not just this game. The United Everton game has been moved for TV. There's there's a likelihood that the City's fourth round of the Carabao Cup game will play, be played on the Thursday, which could then mean the Southampton game has moved to a Sunday. City won 1-0, though it was a nervy affair given the state of the surface after an NFL match the day before. They carried on that winning streak until the first Premier League defeat of the campaign, 2-0 at Chelsea. That opened the door for Liverpool to go back ahead of them in the table. That game, though, was tarnished further by an allegation of racist abuse towards Raheem Sterling. Here's ex-City striker Nader Manua explaining to the podcast why he wasn't surprised and why racism is still a problem in football. If you had a good friend and you said something to them which offended them, they'll tell you that they're offended and they'll probably ask you to never say it again. And if you saw that it really hurt them, you probably wouldn't say it again because you cared. So then it begs the question, when people come out and say that what you're doing is wrong in terms of a race perspective, why does it keep coming back still? And the bottom line is it's because people overall don't really care. If you've not heard it, it's well worth going back and checking out episode 20 to hear more from Nadam and ex-City striker Leon Mike on the topic. However, December ends and at the time of recording, the busy Christmas period is still to come. One thing is for certain, the title race is going to be a lot closer this season than it was last. Ultimately though, 2018 has been kind, very kind to City fans and here's some more of the same in 2019. Hi, this is Andy Morrison, and you're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast. Please give us your backing. Patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast. Sam Roscoe looking back at the highs and lows of 2018 there. Now, uh, it's uh, it's time to look ahead to two what are now crucial games. Southampton away on Sunday and then uh, Liverpool at home next Thursday. Um Howard, first off, Southampton are looking rejuvenated. So it's, a, it's the perfect time for Brilliant. City to play them, isn't Brilliant. it? Brilliant, yeah. Why couldn't they have kept Mark Hughes for... Just another couple of weeks. Why couldn't United have got rid of Mourinho before they played Liverpool? But <laughs> these things happen. Yeah, it's the worst time. Uh, if this is going out today, I won't know how they place West Ham Thursday evening. Don't even know what day it is. Yeah, it's Christmas. <laughs> it's it Thursday. could be any day. My, my grandmother has three times asked how the weekend was and it's been the midweek all, all the time. Yeah. So, you know. so they play West, a depleted West Ham, I think. So, yeah, they might have another. I don't know. They're probably favourites for that. Uh, I'm not going to try and pronounce Ralph's surname from the Leipzig <laughs> manager. Uh, but yeah, he's come in and he's obviously, again, replaced a really moribund, dour manager. And it, the whole place is just, but you know, the lift has been amazing. And he's a manager of, you know, at Leipzig, he's a big proponent of pr- pressing young players, speed. Just what we don't really need, really, you know. Especially right now in this run of form. I mean, it's yeah. So City have to do the same. They have to, you know, have to get that intensity back for Sunday and get a reaction from the players. So no, not a good time. Uh, yeah, they were looking doomed a couple of weeks ago, but now they look like a completely different side. Rob, how do you think Guardiola plans for this week? Because I mean, like you said before, there's there's, there's plenty of games coming in quick succession. He's got another two on the horizon here. Southampton are not going to be an easy team to face, and then they, then they're hosting the league leaders again. It's it's kind of it linked back to what I was saying before, where there are just after a game like Palace, you want a week off to think about it. After a game like Leicester, you want a week off to think about it. And but instead, because of the time of year, we we have three or four days to think about it, and we're coming up against the side who. I've always had good players. I'll, uh, I'll I'll go no further than that. You know, they weren't down there because of the players that they have, but now they have a manager who might be able to. Well, we've seen that he might be able to get a tune out of them. And again, it's all just. I feel like we're still not quite away from this perfect storm. We're not quite out the other side of it yet. Um, but let, I mean, let me I throw in let me throw in difficult. another kind of uh, kind of argument to this though, because you've said a couple of times that. You know, there's no time to think about it. Could that be a good thing? Could it be? You know, you always think if if you lose your last game, before yeah, not an, dwell on it. Yeah, before an international break, then there's always that talk of oh, now they've got a fortnight to 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 think about it and to and yeah. it's ages before we can go out and correct that mistake. Well, actually, they've got an opportunity to correct the last two mistakes quite quickly now. Yeah, I think having um, having Silver back in from the start will probably make a big difference to how we control the game. Because I think when we don't have Silver out there, as much as we've looked towards Fernandinho not being there, Walker and Delph not being in 
the best form. I think Silver not being in there just means that during games where the opposition might have their tails up a little bit, there's nobody in the midfield who will just sit with the ball and slow the game down and make sure that everybody plays 10% slower just so the game doesn't get out of our hands or out of control. And I think having Silver back in there will make a big difference in that regard. But we're not quite back up to our full complement yet. There's still the issues that we've seen against Chelsea, against Palace, against Leicester, and for shades of the game against Everton. They're not they're not quite gone yet. And I think meeting Southampton in the middle of this honeymoon period that they've got under Hasenhutl will be hard for Pep to prepare for this because then if you know as much as we're capable of turning up against Southampton and suddenly. Uh, helping, you know, suddenly battering them three or four nil. You know, we're also capable of this being a, another kind of banana skin in a, a string of banana skins. You know, it's like the sideshow Bob steps on rakes routine, only with lots and lots of banana skins around us. You know, there are just lots of very tricky games at the moment, and this just seems like another one at the moment. But they, only have, they only have to regroup for a week. You know, they have to concentrate on the next two now because after that is. Hartley, yeah, Hartley, not Hartley, not Hartley Poole, Rotherham. I know, God, Jeff Stelling on my mind. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, Rotherham and, uh, and Burton. I almost said Barnet as well. So I don't know what games you're going to, but uh, I'm not going to the same ones, so don't worry about that. <laughs> Maybe I'm looking ahead three years to the games <laughs> we'll have because of this rut we're in. <laughs> well, I mean, uh, but no, obviously we'll be making changes then. So yeah, if there is a fatigue problem, if there is an issue with players needing a rest, we have... You know, we've got two games, obviously three cup games there, uh, where we would not be playing our first team. So you have to just think about the next two and get, get them, get get them done it, and yeah. dusted. Yeah, and I mean, really, yeah. just, just stop the slide. Them. Yeah, then they have a kind of a break in a way that we don't. We can forget about the league for a bit. Will any sort of win get them out of this rut, or does it need to be a win with a good performance out? No, I think a win will. It'll take the pressure off them. So. I don't. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. Obviously, a great performance as well will mean more. It'll give them more confidence going into the Liverpool game. But I think winning will take pressure off them because if they don't, then you know, I'm a pessimist. You know, we all know I'm a pessimist. But just think about the situation going into that Liverpool game, how they'll be feeling, and the pressure's virtually wiped off Liverpool. Uh, if we drop points, you know, because of the lead they'll have picked up. Obviously, they've got Spurs in. Yeah, they've got Arsenal at the weekend. Uh, but I watched them last night, and they were average, uh, very average. I expect Liverpool to win that, and that's on the Saturday. So by the time we play Southampton, we'll be ten points behind, possibly. Uh, so a win, I think, just a win is needed. Yeah, Rob, you were uh, you you were saying you were great. Yeah, I would I would say so. Yeah, it's just about. I think the next couple of games, regardless of the results, I think because of the way the squad is at the moment in terms of fitness and in terms of everything not quite coming together this this perfect storm you know it i feel like it's just about getting through it and then staying intact on the other side essentially and then then we'll look ahead you know we can forget as howard says we can forget about the league for a bit we can play burton we can play rotherham and then you know as long as we're relatively in touch or at least capable of a huge fight back at the end of january then it's not it's not. It's not dead. It's not over. Essentially, and all, and all being well, they should be in a cup final by that point as well, because uh, they should be favourites for that Burton game, whatever team they put out. I so book, uh, book the hotel. So hmm. uh, there we go. Right. Well, we're still on five hundred and eighty quid for the charity bet this season. Each of our panel gets a ten pound correct score single from William Hill, with all the winnings going to the Christie Cancer Hospital in Manchester. So uh, Howard, I'm going to start with you. What are you having for uh, Southampton and then Liverpool? Well, I told you this. Was it last night? It was I've last night. Since yeah. then, I'm going. Did I go 2-1 to City? 2-1 to City for Southampton yeah. is 15-2, uh, to two, so 75 quid if you're right. I'm not, I'm not sure I truly believe that, but I'm going 2-1 to City. So. And uh, for, for Liverpool? I think I went... Did I go 2 all? You did go 2 all, which is 11-1, uh, 110 pounds <laughs> if you're right. I don't believe that either. But... No confidence in his own convictions there. Um, <laughs> Rob, what are you having? Well, when, uh, as I said, when you, well, as Howard said, you know, <laughs> I told you last night as well, um, I was in a pretty dour mood, but I'm going to stick to him, I think. Uh, I'm going to go 2 2 at St. Mary's that's against a, Southampton. That's 18 to 1, so 180 quid. And uh, 1 2 defeat at home to Liverpool. Blimey. You traitor. Sorry, that's everybody. 12, 12 to 1, so uh, it's 120 <laughs> quid if you're right. Uh, I think, in fairness to Rob, 
um, because I've gone for one all at Southampton. Because again, I'm not. I wasn't feeling that confident when I uh, when I put the predictions in. Uh, nine to one, so ninety quid. And then against Liverpool, because I I genuinely thought one two, and then I thought, oh, I'll, maybe it'd be two all then in that case. So you both nicked my prediction. <laughs> I figured if since we're raising money for charity, I've got to be honest and go with what my, what my gut says. And yeah. I've gone for a two nil Liverpool win. Two nil to Liverpool is twenty to one. So at least if I'm right, City will be miles off the pace, but we'll have raised 200 quid for charity. So yeah. uh, swings and roundabouts, isn't Every it? Every cloud. Every cloud has a silver lining. You've, uh, you've got to be 18 or over to gamble. Prices can change. And for more information about responsible gambling, visit begambleaware.org. Now then, the run-up to Christmas can be a difficult time for families of those who are spending the festive season in hospital. Last week, some of City's players from the men's and women's team visited youngsters in four of Manchester's hospitals with gifts and presents. John Chubb's been finding out what happened. Sometimes it can be easy to forget just how good many of us have it. We think they, they're incredible young people and you know it's really important for us to spend some time, give some gifts and just have a you know a laugh with them and, and spend some time. It's been an incredible experience. That's Manchester City's women manager Nick Cushing. He, along with several players, dropped in on children being treated at the Christie, Francis House and Withenshaw Starlight Unit. It's really humbling. You know, we're a football team and, and we're working to win football games, but these... These young people are incredible and what they what they go through and how, the strength that they show and the smiles on their faces. You know, it's, it's been a really, really good experience for us and the players and we've really enjoyed the day. Here's striker Georgia Stanway speaking after meeting some of the kids. We've just been meeting some of the uh, children that are here, just getting to know them, getting to know why they're here and just trying to make their day, make them feel special. And I think we've, we've enjoyed today and, and so have they. We've been talking to some City fans. There's a girl here in a City shirt, um, just handing out footballs, just having some fun really, um, getting to know what they like to do in their spare time. Not all of them are interested in football, but we can talk about something different. But yeah, they've enjoyed themselves. And it was the same for the men's players. Kevin De Bruyne joined manager Pep Guardiola at the Royal Manchester Children's Hospital to hand out gifts. Captain Vincent Company was there as well. It's been good fun. It, it, it has been. It always is, to be honest. And uh, I think it, it just narrows things down a little bit to what really matters most in the end is for them to get support in whichever way possible that's the reason why we I think we're also contributing through through other means than just being here but them being happy as well and you know it was a, it was a good thing to, to experience today and Guardiola thought it was a humbling experience football is a little little microcosmos about what the reality is in around the world and and these kind of things. And I know many, many, many players on our team help help these kind of guys uh, buying presents and many, many things, not just in that period, but all the, all the year. And that's why it's nice. We are delighted to, to be here like everything. This is Josh, who's been treated at Francis' house. He explains what the hospice does for him. I've been here all my life, really, and they've always helped me whenever uh, I've just needed some alone time. And um, when I needed to get away or, yeah, it is really good and it is good to have a break sometimes, but it is a really good place and the staff are amazing, uh, they've always helped me, it is brilliant. He explains the challenges that he's facing on a daily basis. I've never really been able to walk, I've always had dislocated hips, they've tried to put my hips back to the right way. I was in a cast for a couple of months, but it didn't work at all. But I've never really been able to stand, but we're hopefully trying to get me to stand and start walking in the near future. Now, it's often said that sports people live in a bubble and are far removed from the real world, but Steph Horton says trips like these remind her just how lucky she is to be doing the job she does. For me, I think, and the rest of the girls, is very rewarding. I think we spend a lot of time in football and we're all fit and healthy and to come down and see the children, also the families and support them and um, hopefully put a few smiles back on their faces and for us just to realise that um, we're very lucky and we're in a great position as footballers to do what we do, but to support the families that are here um, on a daily basis and some on one days as well. So. I think it's been very rewarding giving out the kids uh, Christmas presents. She explains it's important the players get involved. For us, we have a job to do away from the pitch and that's to be role models for uh, young girls and young boys. But I think 
as a club, as uh, a football club to be able to do this and spend some time away from the football pitch and help families and help children. I think it's especially at Christmas time when it could be proven to be quite hard and the nurses have been fantastic uh, with helping us around and obviously the job that they do on a day-to-day -day basis um, surely has to be recognised. So we just wanted to say thank you for Starlight Ward for letting us come in and um, give, the, give the kids some Christmas joy. And Guardiola thinks that football has the power to help people. It's so nice not just to see the, the kids, the families and the, the personnel, the, the doctors, the, you know, the physios, the, all the people are taking, taking care of this kind of people that are suffering for a short time but they're getting better. And I spent some time, you know, be, uh, being with, uh, with them, especially their families, the other moms and brothers and sisters. It's so nice. So. Always I said the same, football is a sport is incredible, it's the best. We can use it for the best part of the education to, to make us better, to, to do better society. The hospital visits were part of City's Christmas campaign, which also included a special lunch for local elderly residents living near the CFA and supporting the homeless with staff volunteering at the Booth Centre in Manchester. Hi, my name is Uwe Ressler, former Manchester City player. You listen to the Blue Moon podcast. Check out exclusive City interviews on our website, bluemoonpodcast.com. John Chubb looking back at City's festive programme there. Now it's uh, time to finish with Ask the Panel. Get your questions in at Blue Moon Podcast on Twitter or you can email us through the website, bluemoonpodcast.com. The first comes from Darren Watson on Twitter. He asks, although the season is only halfway through, the title defence looks worryingly like it's collapsing. The previous two failed title defences came after major international tournaments. Surely this can't be a coincidence. Howard is... We talked all episode about a perfect storm. Is that just another one of the factors in this season? Yeah, it's one of ten. Well, all our three... I'm trying to think of the years now. All our three title wins. 2012, 2014 and 2018 title wins. before a tournament, not after it. Um, so the defence came in the year after the whilst, tournament. Yeah. But, and there's other... Yeah, linked to that, Chelsea and Leicester, I think, won titles whilst not in Europe. So their season yeah, was right. a bit easier. It's a, it is a factor because it's an intense system that you play. I mean, Klopp himself has become a victim to this, I think, that you know, accusations that his players will burn out, and hopefully they still will. Uh, though there's little evidence at the moment. It is. Again, if you start saying, oh, well, you know, we, we did have the most players of any club in Europe, I think, at the World Cup. Some of them went near to, near to the end. Uh, obviously, because of that playoff as well, we've got England players playing right near to the end. Uh, Kevin De Bruyne was there, obviously. Uh, but then you look at Spurs, who didn't buy in. You know, this ties in as well to strengthening on the back. Another issue that we, you know, I'm almost I'm almost fatigued about talking about <laughs> it is strengthening a title-winning team, which no team has done very well for 10 years well perhaps let, explains why they've never retained it. let me just stop but you there spurs, a second sorry, because spurs uh, didn't buy anyone did they in the summer and well, they seem no. in peak fitness now well I was they gonna, had a uh, lot of players at the world cup at so. that point i was just going to bring in julie bellingham's question on the email she asks uh, why have city been so complacent in transfer windows after winning the title which is again another factor well because we haven't why? got another 300 million pounds to spend have we it is a factor i mean the last the previous two were really bad I mean, let's not forget, after the Mancini one, our recruitment was, it was poor, and it wasn't much better. I can't remember all the names, but it wasn't much better. This seemed like a much better side that didn't need surgery, but it's about freshening up, isn't it? Look, with hindsight, I could say, oh, we, we could have kept Sancho. He'd been a revelation. He'd not got Mara, spent it on Fernandinho back up, and we did want Jorginho, but we only wanted him. So there was no, once he, you know, again, we thought we had him. And right. when he didn't go, we were left in a situation. So, yeah, we could have... I don't like to use hindsight. But, yeah, we should have... Uh, maybe we haven't got the money, especially with all this year, this financial fair play. Don't assume we've got another 300 million to spend in the summer just gone. Maybe we knew about you know what had happened, the leaks and all that sort of stuff, and they're playing it very tentatively. And part of the reason why Pepe's saying we're not buying anyone in January is because... They're keeping a low profile. There's so many things we do. There's so many unknowns, isn't there? With hindsight, we could have played this better. I think Sancho would have gone anyway, and no one could have expected him to have the impact he's had. 
at Dortmund. No, but if we'd known that and kept him, then we didn't need to buy Mares. I'm not going to go at Mares. I think he'll come. It's just a financial, however it's good, a financial thing. However good he is, did we need another wide player? I'd a backup striker, Fernandinho backup, and of course left back issue of all now. Everyone's now mentioning, you know, a month ago, no one cared. We're playing well, it seems. we didn't. It didn't matter. Now, all of a sudden, it's become a huge issue again. So it's easy to be revisionist, but there clearly are areas. We may not have, we may have focused on the wrong areas in the team to strengthen in the summer. And you don't have to spend £60 million. Why, you know, the Robertson, Undombele, get him, get him at the point Leon by him. Don't get him when he's become a superstar. You know, we have scouts. We need to be looking for get oh, Robertson cost eleven million. You know, for for Liverpool or something like that. So that we don't have to spend a huge amount of money. We sh- and so in a in a way we could have done more without splashing a huge amount of cash. Rob, would it would it really be a City title defense though if they didn't do something like this? <laughs> well, the question is is the question was why have we um been so poor in transfer windows after we've won titles but i don't think i don't think there is a why i think it just it just is because i think if if you're asking why you're looking to point the finger at something and sometimes there are just so many there are so many factors i think this summer's been a bit different to previous ones though where in the past i think when we won the title in 2012 we went after van persie de rossi and hazard and we ended up with Javi Garcia, Scott Sinclair, and an unhappy Balotelli for another six months. <laughs> and then in 2014, when we won it, we were slightly hamstrung by financial fair play, but we still spent 40 odd million pounds on Mangala. And you start to think, you start to look back and you start to wonder whether it was just bad decision making that impacted the title last time. Because, you know, when we made the signings in the summer of 2014, I think everybody in t- summer of 2012 knew that it was a bit of a disaster because we made five signings on the last day, didn't we? Oh, it was, we, we, yeah. We made, there, like, was, there, there was a ridiculous... I think Richard Wright was the headline the day before, and it yeah, just at that point... We yeah, because um, we signed Rodwell about a week before the season was supposed to start, but he wasn't ready for the Community Shield. And then we signed all these players very, very quickly in a very short space of time on deadline day. Like I say, Richard Wright was one of them. And then in 2014, it seemed like we were making sensible choices because Sanya was a good right back. Caballero was a good goalkeeper. You know, there were, you know, it's not like they were silly choices. You know, that they were, you know, Caballero was a very respected goalkeeper in Spain. Sanya was a very well respected right back in for Arsenal. Whereas, I don't know, for this summer when we approached it, I think the only problem position we had was back up for Fernandinho. Or potentially people were talking about Jorginho coming in and replacing Fernandinho because Fernandinho was the weak link in terms of controlling the ball and the pressure. And, and just know, and his age as well. I mean, he's, he can't be expected to play so much at the age he's at. No, exactly. But then I don't, as I was saying before, I don't think we have a problem in terms of depth at fullback. I think it's just we're now looking, we didn't in the summer. So if, we, if we'd assigned another fullback in the summer, that would have been odd. I think I think that would have been strange because Walker and Danilo were both well. Walker was fantastic last season. Danilo was worthy backup. Uh, Delph was excellent last season, and we had Mendy coming back, and we had Zinchenko if all else failed. And Zinchenko did quite well last season, I thought, when he filled in at left back, save for a couple of hairy moments. So you're sitting there thinking, so do we really need a fullback? And then four or five months into the season, Mendy's never fit. Danilo's never fit. Walker and Delph are knackered and in poor form. Oh, why didn't we buy a left back in the summer? Why didn't we do this? And I think, like Howard was saying, you know, it's easy to kind of make these judgments with hindsight that we should have gone out and bought a left back. But at the time, it didn't seem like we needed a fullback. I think the only position that it seemed like we needed another option was probably defensive midfield. And I don't mind us not getting Jorginho because the pull to play for your former manager in London is probably a greater pull than most of us think it is. Because when you're moving to a new country, not just as a footballer, but as a person, you want safety in numbers. You want familiarity. That's why, I mean, it's kind of similar on a psychological level to the reason that quite a lot of English people live together in Benidorm because they want familiarity. They want somebody they know while they're adjusting to a new system, a new country, a new league. You know, they they want somebody around who's familiar. So that's, you know, that's fine. But it was when Pep came out afterwards and said that we weren't planning on getting anybody else instead of Jorginho, that made me think, 
Hmm. Something, okay. something doesn't this quite add up. And I, I have to chastise you yeah. there as well, because I'd almost got through an entire show without mentioning Brexit, and look what you've made me do. Uh, so uh, oh, so there we go. I'm sorry. Right, well, uh, we're, we're going to call it there, and uh, we hope we've answered some questions for you in this uh, in the middle of this uh, Christmas period of, uh, of bad form. But if we've not, then let us know at Blue Moon Podcast on Twitter. Email us through the website, bluemoonpodcast.com. Uh, but for now, thank you very much to, uh, to my two guests, to uh, Howard Hawking. Yep, it was hopefully cathartic. And uh, Rob Wilson. Thanks very much. It's been a pleasure being on and also hi to my Uncle Simon who will be listening from the States. Wonderful. If he wants a little bit more, then uh, he can also have a listen to this week's uh, Blue Moon Podcast Patreon show. We're discussing the 2018 highlights and lowlights. So go and have a look for that, patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast. As for us, that's, uh, that's it for this year. We'll see you next year. Have a good one. the blue moon podcast please support the show patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast